In the parable of the talents, the worthless servant has many flaws, and chief among them is that he seems to think that he can judge his master. This should come as no surprise, since in our own time and homes, God is judged by atheists and Christian alike. Apart from God, how do we know what's good? Are we supposed to hold God to a standard? This is Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor Anthony Alegria, and here with me in the studio is also... Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and it is exciting. Anthony's going to be talking about how there is always this temptation. Everybody wants to do this in our world. People want to judge God. When you see people saying, well, we can't have prayer in school because it's offensive to people, no, that, that's a sham. That's not the real reason. The truth is, is people do not want to be held accountable by a higher being, let alone God himself, the master of creation, who gave us all the great gift that is the breath of life. Well, Anthony, before we get into this, would you like me to go ahead and open us up in prayer? Yes, please. All right, well, let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we are assembled together, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to come and hear a word from you. Lord, I ask that you open up our hearts and minds, wherever we may be, whether in our homes, in our cars, or here in the studio. Open up our hearts and minds that we can draw near to you. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. And Anthony? Amen. <clears throat> Back in October, someone asked me about what I did as a profession, so I told him that I am a student at Trevecca, that I'm an associate pastor at Jolton Church of the Nazarene, and that I park cars on the side. This man's a Baptist, so he was very interested in the differences between our beliefs, which are pretty minute in the greater scheme of things. Um, I had mentioned a few of these differences, but certainly one which he took great arms with was the idea that you can reject your salvation after you accept it. He was in complete disagreement with that belief which can be fine for the right reasons. But there are very bad reasons to disagree too, so not all disagreement is productive. This sermon's not about that part of salvation, but I say all this because he said something that many people say. He said something like, I would not serve a God who would take away what he gives. There was no taking that needed to be addressed, so he misunderstood what I was trying to say. But Something else much deeper alarms me about that statement. This always sticks out in my mind as a very strange argument. It can be applied to anything, and I've heard it from Christians and the worldly alike. I would not serve a God who... And then you can go ahead and fill in the blank here. A favorite fallback for the faithless and those of little faith is this argument. And consider ourselves. How often do we read the scriptures and have reservations for what God has plainly said is good. I should have told that man uh, during that debate in response, so you know, do you, that God reaps where he does not sow. I think this might end up becoming one of my favorite phrases. Uh, I don't think that he would have had any idea what I was trying to say. But today, I'm going to tell you exactly what I mean. In short, we should not consider ourselves the judge of God. We should recognize God to be our one and only true source for knowledge of goodness, justice, and truth. Our understanding should never attempt to conform our faith in God, but rather we should conform our understanding to our faith in Him and in His Word. <clears throat> if we live this way in Christ, the Lord may just say to us on the day of judgment, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. Enter into the joy of your master. So let's find out about the this master of the universe, who is the judge not to be judged. But beforehand, I think Pastor Dylan would like to say something. Yeah, and what you're talking about there is 
there's always the temptation to make God conform to our ideologies, to our theologies. And I think what Anthony's trying to get along um, is you can't really do that. If if your metric is myself and me, and you say something like, well, I don't want to go to that church if they're doing that because it doesn't agree with, with me. If you ever put yourself as the standard bearer rather than allowing yourself to be transformed by, by Christ and by the Holy Spirit, um, then you have really made a mistake. Yes, I completely and totally agree. I think a good example of this is the very, very strict Calvinism, <clears throat> which says that God chose every single person who was to be saved and every single person who was to go to hell before he created anything. And so they base this on the reasons that, you know, God is all-powerful and all-knowing and in complete control. And so they start with those three, and they start building other things. And reasonably, it's like, okay, yeah, logically, I can see how there's a circle here. There's a complete logical circle. But it doesn't explain everything in the Scriptures, and our Scriptures testify to something else. And so what they've done is they've come to God with a reason, and they've conformed God to that reason rather than conforming their reason to God. And whenever God has revealed to them that people have free will and that people can do as they choose, and so they choose the way of life or the way of death as provided through Christ. And so um, there's flaws there, and people are always trying to come to God with their reasons first. Um, We need to come to God in faith, trust, and love, and then conform our reason to that. Our reason can still be logical, but we need to have faith and trust first. We'll see this in the following parable, Matthew 25, 14 through 30. All righty. And... I will be reading that for us. So going to the gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, it reads as follows. For it is as if a man, going on a journey, summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off, and at once he traded them. And he made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had received the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after some time, the master of those slaves came home and settled accounts with them. To the one who had received the five talents, when he came forward bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over me five talents, and see, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things, and therefore I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And in verse 22, And the one with the two talents, he also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But in verse 26 his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow, and that I gather where I did not scatter? 
then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what is mine own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to the one with the ten talents. For all those who have, more will be given, and they will have in abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him out into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's much to be said about this whole parable, so it won't be covered in full. Let's look a little closer into this parable, starting at verses 24 and 25. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what's yours. Humankind is constantly trying to justify itself before God, and we fail miserably every time. The worthless servant is no exception. Apparently, the master is unjust, and the servant feared him. I want us for a moment to consider this fear. On first glance, it looks like it could help justify the worthless servant. Fear, after all, is a strong motivator. If he was afraid of this unjust master, then perhaps that could have been enough to say that the worthless slave did the best that he could think of. But I tell you, his fear is either a lie or an exaggeration. If it's known this master reaps where he does not sow, and you fear him, would you not set yourself to work? What sort of fear instead drives this man to laziness? I can tell you this much. It's not the fear of the Lord. In Revelation 14:7, we find, Fear God and give him glory, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth the sea, and the springs of water. This is an eternal gospel of an angel of the Lord. The word fear in this verse and the word afraid in the parable are the same word, one in the form of a regular verb and the other a command. Fear of the Lord is good and does not deprive people of laziness. I was afraid, he says. No, that's not the complete truth. When this slave says he was afraid, it's a different fear. No, it was not fear, but a kind of arrogance, which drove this slave to wickedness and laziness. It would be enough for the slave to, b- to believe that the master reaps where he did not sow. That's a wrong belief. It's definitely more complicated than that. But the slave could have chosen to love the master and serve him and be rewarded as the rest of the slaves were anyways. Instead, This slave chose to abide in his foolishness and to scorn the master. This slave is the sort who says to his Lord, Here, have what is yours. After saying that he reaped where he did not sow. This is a mockery of the Lord and a passing of judgment on the one judge. Every other slave brought back more to the Lord in gratitude and were afterwards rewarded. Where is the master who reaps where he did not sow when the master gives with such justice and grace. Look at how the master replies, and hear what I said at the beginning. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow, and gather where I did not scatter? I don't know how the Lord could make himself more obviously sarcastic. The Lord himself belittles the possibility that the worthless slave actually knew anything by what the Lord says that the slave should have done, if that slave's excuses were real. The Lord makes his point. 
The slave didn't know what he was talking about. Ignorance could have been forgivable, but this slave was wicked and lazy in his ignorance. No wonder, he said, from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is the life of those who choose to judge God and to bring him to some perverted justice. For them, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and what they have will be taken from them. Again, I can hear their voices saying, What kind of God would take from those who have little? What kind of God would cast people into hell? Why should I serve that God? People will often say this sort of thing to refute such issues as hell, which Jesus refers to just as often as heaven. <clears throat> However, what kind of God, they say. It's the same kind of God who is greater than we are. His ways are above our ways, and anything that we know about God, we only know because he has revealed it to us. There is no justice except perversion that we can know apart from God. So why do we, Christians and atheists alike, talk about God as though we could ever judge him? What if you're wrong? Then you have done nothing less than blasphemy. If we, we are truly an arrogant and untrusting race. Does this mean that we must understand everything perfectly? Heavens no. In fact, this should show us that trust in the Lord is what's important. For as it says in Luke 7.50, your faith has saved you. Our ultimate purpose is to trust, love, and remain faithful to him. This is how we glorify the Lord. We are far beneath the Lord, so remaining faithful to him through Christ is the only way we can be his image, his statue, showing his goodness to the rest of the world. The other servants showed this to us. They remained faithful to God. Their understandings and ideas aren't ever even mentioned because they fulfilled what was most important, which was to be faithful servants. They loved their master and look at their just reward. Instead, or rather indeed, I mean to say, there are rewards for those who are faithful. As stewards of various things, God will make us stewards of more, if we're good stewards, remaining faithful to him in trust and love. This goes much farther than petty theological differences. This strikes to the very heart of our relationship and life with God. When we receive anything, what does it matter compared to faith if we say that we are lucky or that we are blessed, which is a, a petty theological difference that people argue about today? I prefer to say that I am blessed. But I know that those who say they were lucky can still please the Lord. He's not asked for perfect understanding. The Lord has asked us to trust him, to love him, and to remain faithful to him. So when I say that I am blessed, and I take what I have received, and then do things which are not trusting to the Lord, which are not in love for him, and which belittle our relationship, the Lord is displeased with me. But when the fellow with a misunderstanding, who says he is lucky, takes what he receives, and uses it for the glory of God is a faithful servant and then the Lord is pleased for that matter it is only possible to truly understand God in trust love and faithfulness that worthless slave shows us that much he understands the very surface level of what God could have told him had the worthless slave trusted what God that what God reaps is taken to his barn in heaven and used as a blessing for all that worthless servant would have served God as well. 
but that servant had no trust. Where there is doubt in the Lord, there cannot be understanding of the Lord. Throughout the church history, there have been many saints who wrote fetus quarn intellectum, or faith seeking understanding. They knew that understanding could never actually seek faith. We cannot think about God without God's help and do a good job. That's why we have to trust him. <clears throat> As it is written, he gives to each according to his ability. So if you prove yourself with little understanding, how much more will the Lord be able to give you? In times of blessing, we must remain faithful, which can be more difficult than we might often imagine. Just think of Israel at her height, how she prostituted herself to the idols. In a world of idols, we should not think that we're the exception. This too applies to times of suffering. Times of suffering are probably whenever we consider what we know about God the most. Again, we forget that is not the point considering what we know and certain attributes. For instance, we wonder what sort of God would allow the death of both the good and the evil. There's nothing wrong with this question, but it'll never be answered outside of faithful love and trust. Our first point then should be to trust and love him to remain faithful. Don't be so arrogant as to think that you know better than God. For on the day of judgment, he will turn to you and say, you knew, did you? And for those who did not turn in faith and trust to Christ for forgiveness, he will say, as for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Submit yourself to Christ that the Lord will reward you in this life and the eternal life saying, well done, good and trustworthy slave. Enter into the joy of your master. Pastor Dylan, would you uh, like to respond in any way before we close? Yeah, there's a couple of things that come to my mind. This whole text that you brought up, it really is a example of how typically when people come and they say something like, you know, we need to get away from the church, religion is holding us down, these things, they are dishonest judgments that come down to the point where it's really just people trying to get away from being held accountable. You, um, what we see going on here within this text is a dishonest judgment from the slave, the, the wicked slave, the wicked servant, who does not want to be held accountable for his lack of action. And when you look in our world around us, and again, an example from my own lifetime, where I went to high school, the ACLU got involved in a whole big ordeal happened where people said you can't say prayer at graduation um, and this was like Cheatham County in 2009 and it was a big mess and big stink and even like law case brought against a school system because they said you know you can't do that because it's offensive to some people um, and these sort of situations they really are a sham do you kind of follow what I'm saying Anthony no yeah I think um, <clears throat> it's almost as though people want to judge what is good to, uh, you know, give praise and recognition to the Lord and ask for his help in the future. And they sort of want to come to that with a perversion, which is of the world, not of God's revelation to say, no, that's an inappropriate thing to do here in this place. Yeah. And it's like, well, no, that's precisely the opposite. God reveals that that's the appropriate thing to do in those times of life. Well, really what I'm saying by that is whenever you see people and 
I don't even know if I would call them out-and-out atheists because sometimes these people, they have beliefs in other things. They might not be conscious of that, but they have beliefs. But we live in a day and age where a lot of people say, well, you can't have God here because that's offensive. We've actually moved past that as a culture. I haven't heard that argument being made in about, well, since about 2009. We have moved into the post-Christian culture where it's just assumed it's offensive if you do anything Christian anywhere. It's hate speech. But the truth is, this is a lie. Just like when you look inside that text, if that slave actually believed his master reaped where he did not sow, then he would have been doing some work. He would have had more than one talent, even if he pulled it out of his own pocket when he got home. And if he was actually afraid for that matter. Yeah, yeah. If he was actually afraid, he would have definitely done that. Um, It's like you said that Diet Coke was poison, and your plan was to drink as much Diet Coke as possible. Um, You look around the world where we're at, and you do find that people have this mentality that says, we don't need to have God in our lives because it's, you know, separation of church and state. We need to have anything sanitized. We as the church have to wake up to the fact that that is a dishonest, not only use of that First Amendment where Congress cannot make a law regarding an establishment of religion, but it's not actually honestly trying to sanitize things. The same people who were saying that it's offensive to have, you know, prayers at graduation, which was a sham, nobody was actually being offended by that except for people who wanted to be. Um, But what you find is those same people are now saying boys get to play track with girls or basketball, whatever, because they're transgender. And that whole thing is a sham. That's not, you know, that is not sanitized, clean, and inoffensive. In fact, that actually is quite terrible to to young ladies and boys who are just trying to go on through life and they have this there. And it's doing things to young people which are still developing. It's a whole sham is what I'm saying. These people who say you've got to remove God because it's offensive, they don't care about what's offensive. They just don't want to be held accountable by their creator. And the Lord looks on it and he says, so you knew prayer in schools was offensive, did you? And yet here you are allowing for (laughs) all sorts of atrocities in uh, athletics and restrooms that take place regularly in your public systems. Yeah, here you here you are wanting to mutilate children. Exactly, yeah. And and literally mutilate children. You know, over in um Europe right now in England, the UK, they currently have a case where there was a young girl who was encouraged to have surgery to remove her breasts because she thought she was transgender when she was a teenager and they did this to her as a teenager and now that she's an adult she was like actually it was just depression and there wasn't a single person counselor anything that told me maybe i shouldn't do this and now i'm adult i realized i had made a huge mistake and this actually happens quite a lot and people act like if you don't affirm this stuff they're going to be suicidal actually no that's not true either that the suicidal rate goes up when they do this stuff because they're at war with reality And the way that we love these people and help them is realize we're all sinners, we're all made in the image of God, and we've got to get back to that design. And the Christ-like love of this world comes to us like the master in this text that says, you thought all of these things were true, so why didn't you act on them? God knows that we're called to, to love one another and to pull people out of pits of life. So why in the world would we say that pits are good, pits are okay? That is not Christ-like love. The way to life, the way to uh, God's reward is to submit yourself to yeah. Christ. And, um, you know, he will look on you in this life and the next and say, well done, good and trustworthy slave. Yep. Well, with that, let's close in prayer and we'll end there. 
Gracious Heavenly Father, as we are assembled here, Lord, I ask that you send your Holy Spirit to open our hearts, our minds, give us your wisdom, strength, and encouragement. Lord, for those who do not know you, Lord, I pray you would send their Holy Spirit to give them guidance, give them comfort, send some conviction to pull them back to you. Be with us wherever we may be, and let our hearts and minds be renewed by you. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All righty. Well, with that, God love you, and have a blessed day.